Hi, I'm Nick Rothschild with ABC7 in Denver. You're listening to the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I am your co-host, Mr. Nemo Spruce, a.k.a. NWB. And I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Corbett Around. Kobe, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. I'm excited for this one. This can be fun, man. And we have a great guest. You've seen him and her. We have a duo today. You've seen them on Discovery Plus on Baby Drivers. It is Troy and Kara Adams. Hello. Hey, thanks for having us on. <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to have you on. We've got so much to get into, but Troy, Kara, how did the modus fuck that you own and run, how did that come to be? Well, you know, it's uh, it's been with the family since 1960. My grandfather, Frank Adams, basically we had a farm. And my, my dad and his brothers were really big into uh, drag racing back then, kind of illegal and legal drag racing. But they saw this little go-kart that they bought um, for two of my cousins. And crazy enough, my, my cousins were riding this go-kart that they got for Christmas in the front of the, in front of the house in the streets. And my grandmother... Uh, Mary Adams at that time just said, told my grandfather to, to drag a little racetrack in his backyard. Well, people drove by this backyard uh, driving into town every day and started asking our family, could they ride on this go-kart, little go-kart track? And we opened up for business and that was kind of how it started, just from a Christmas gift uh, for my cousins. And now we had, we at that time, we had the number one uh, go-kart track in the country. Okay, hold on a second. So is it still located in the original location? It's still located at the original location. We've never changed. It's still, uh, we've modified it and changed it quite a bit, but it's still in the original location since 1960. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, so I imagine there probably weren't that many go-kart tracks, racing tracks in general, owned by anyone of color in the United States. There's still not that many uh, that I know of. African-American or minority-owned, you know, racing facilities in the country, if not the world. Um, it's something that, uh, you know, we were blessed to have, and the racing community embraced that. Uh, it's been through some challenges, but no, it's been good. So then obviously racing's in your family's blood. So was it just a natural progression for you to get into racing yourself? You know, really racing wasn't in our family's blood. You know, my, my father and them, yeah, they race Again, a little bit more on the illegal drag stop back in the day, like most everyone else did in the in the 50s and 60s. But my family, the men's side, were all engineers with the space shuttle, with building the rail system in San Francisco to F-15, F-16 fighters, jets. Oh. That's kind of the crazy side. Uh, and the women of the family were all in the social side of the world. So... You know, we really weren't big in racing. It was started off again as a Christmas gift. But at the end of the day, we became kind of that racing family, racing hub 
for all of your top level racers to to launch their career at. Okay, now this question is for Caroline. Was Troy a race car driver when you met? No, he actually wasn't. When we met, he was a racetrack owner, but he was like really big into the Riverside Chamber of Commerce. And so he would like talk to pretty girls about their business <laughs> models. And <laughs> so I had no idea what I was getting into. Okay. Actually, <laughs> honestly, if you've watched the show, if you haven't, definitely check it out on Discovery Plus. But if you have watched the show, you'll know that Troy handles himself pretty well. He, he, he gets himself into a lot of, in and out of a lot of sticky situations when it comes to dealing with some of the parents. And that's something I wanted to, I wanted to ask you directly about is the parents Considering the financial requirement to raise a child as a race car driver, the, the costs involved, they get pretty fanatical about it, right? Yeah, they do. I mean, but it's it's one of those things where it's not like a stick and ball where where you can go out and practice and play and it doesn't cost you that much money. Yes, those individuals that do travel ball, you know, you still have your travel ball coaches or place that you're going, but unlike racing, every time they start that car up, it costs money. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, people are passionate in every, I think every sport, but because we're spending and people are spending money every time the go-kart gets started, it, it gets a little more um, intense. intense. Now, there are a lot of industries that are suffering due to the inability of parts being available because of pandemic issues, the costs involved with shipping, not to mention just the gas and such. Has that really put a damper on go-karting right now or no? You know, it's, it's, uh, people keep saying that I'm going to say our industry is growing. It's probably at its all time high right now, but there is, and we are feeling the same as all the other industries, you know, the shortage uh, you just have to be extremely good at what you do in regards to making sure you have excess quantity, making sure that you have good relationships with uh, the importers and the de and the dealers, uh, which we've been blessed to do over the over the course of you know the sixty years that we've been in business, but really the thirty five years that I've ran the facility. And so, because of that, we've been blessed that that we haven't really hurt that much. Okay, now the two of you share in the operation of the facility, correct? Yes. But you handle the majority of the coaching, right, Troy? I handle all of the on-track, say, activities. That would be the coaching, the racing shop. The karting league. The karting leagues uh, and, and all of that, any of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Any dealing with any of the management of, of drivers. And then Kara. And the maintenance. And then I handle all the maintenance <laughs> of the facility. Kara's not, she don't do outside stuff. You don't get dirty. You don't get dirty, right? Uh, I try not to. <laughs> And then Kara handles all the, yeah, all the interviewing of the the track staff, running the staff, all of our schedules. When we go to Mexico and run our Mexican, um, their Mexican National League and we take drivers over there, she handles all the coordination for all the other countries. Okay. So you're, you're a former NASCAR series uh, racer yourself. Once again, just for our audience, let them know what series you raced in. Yeah. So I raced in um, the top level that I raced at was the Southwest Tour Racing League, which was comparable to a lot of now your ARCA. ARCA was always there and, and the West, we were right below or parallel to that. A lot of guys went to Southwest Tour and then went straight to truck. Okay. And then on the show itself, you mentioned that at some point you just came to the realization that you felt like you just don't have it. Well, you know what? It, it comes to 
multiple things. Back in 2000 is when I was, it was kind of trying to really launch our career, 98 to 2000. And there's multiple things. You can win all the tests in the world back then, but you still didn't get treated exactly how we needed to in order to win races. And so I was blessed to run with a guy named Clarence Bessard on his program, but we didn't have the structure and we didn't have the personnel in place in order to win races. You know, and when you've won all your life, you start doubting yourself that you're not that good. And so mm-hmm. for me, it was you have to make a choice. Do you continue to struggle and kind of not win and, and figure out, try to figure up the ladder? Or do you go into business? And my goal was, you know, really to go into business and make money in the industry. Um, I was blessed that I had a track. I was blessed that I had a racing school. And I've had that since 1992. And so we just, you know, I fell on some of the things that I learned in the industry, some of my failures, a lot of my failures and was able to utilize that to help the kids get to the next level. And we've been blessed to be able to do that in multiple ways from NASCAR to Rallycross um, to Open Wheel. Okay, so th- this will be a bit of a personal question for you and also an analytical question. Does a driver have to, do they have to come to the realization that maybe they don't have it to race at the top level? Or would you as a coach have to tell somebody at some point that maybe you just don't have it? I think it can come. It, it can come from both ways, and it depends on their age. I've told, you know, many of of young kids, young men or women, uh, as they've gotten into the eighteen, twenty one year old range, that maybe they need to look at going a different direction. But if they have the finances to continue to follow their dream, then who am I to kill it? And then it goes, you know, some of the young ones that are coming up. I would never tell a young person that they couldn't do something. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know when that light bulb goes is going to come on and the skill sets that they once lacked, but you've poured into may come uh, to the forefront. And so with that being said is when it comes to, you know, a kid, I'm going to say eight to 18 years old, I'm going to give them all the tools and all the encouragement that I can in order to help them get to the next level. And it's up to them to figure out uh, if that's the right path. Okay. Okay. And have you witnessed any like late bloomers in your own experience? I think there's a lot of late bloomers. I mean, one of them really is, um, you know, Noah Gregson didn't start uh, till he was, I want to say 14, 13, 14, 15 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, Noah was an extremely late bloomer as far as I was concerned. You know, I've had quite a few that were not like some would say you had to start at five or eight years old. Yes. Um, Andreas Mickelson, one of the top rally uh, WRC racers in the world out of Norway. Same thing. I think he launched, I saw him at 13 years old and we worked together for years. And again, one of the, one of the top WRC drivers in the world. Uh, so it doesn't always mean that you have to come from a family um, with money or, or within the industry. It does help them. Okay. Now, that was something I think there's a common misconception when it comes to racing, especially. Now, you mentioned the one racer from Norway. When I was very young, I traveled with my parents through most of Europe. And so you know, we're based in in Canada. We're based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. And here, there's the odd go-kart track. But generally, it's more of a sort of a hobby track that you see for the most part. There are a few serious ones, but generally hobby tracks. But when we traveled through Europe, I saw these amazing go-kart tracks practically everywhere we went. So it's been quite a big deal there for a long time. How do you think America compares to Europe when it comes to development of young racers? You know, that's a that's a question I get asked 
uh, quite often. And in Europe, it's racing. To me, it's racing or or soccer, right? Or what they call football. Our kids have a lot of different options, you know, that, that they can get at. But those individuals who are really big into racing, I think we're doing a disservice right now to a lot of our kids that our tracks, our new tracks, are very fast sweeping. They're not really technical. Okay. The European driver, and and I think a lot of you know we are, we're we're unfortunately harvesting this sense of entitlement through our kids here in the U.S. And even though a lot of my clients, and I'm gonna say you know I deal with Mexico at a as a at a high level right now. We have an academy in Mexico. Those kids are yes come from affluent families, but they're very hungry to learn. They're respectful when they are when they get into things that are happening on the track that that maybe crashes or bad moves against them the parents aren't crying and that's the problem in the US unfortunately right now you know things anything that happens to the kids on the US the parents are up in arms yeah um, you don't see that as much in Europe and so because of that to me the kids are a little or I'm going to say mentally stronger not physically but definitely mentally okay and they work harder you know Going back to to your other question in regards to late bloomers, you know, I, I think, you know, the world has to look out at a young kid that's in NASCAR. He's gone through the diversity program, but he started late on uh, racing simulators. And that's Raja Karuth. Karuth is now debuted in, in trucks. And I think he started at 16, 17. So for those individuals that are out there that, that think it's too late for them, no. And who's to say that you can't reach your dream because there's a young man right now that's lighting up, lighting up the racetracks and doing a phenomenal job. Okay. So you, you brought up simulators and there's been a lot of debate about the validity of simulators in comparison to real racing. There are professional racers that swear by them. There are some that say, I'll never use a simulator. Do you think it's a good idea for young kids to use simulators when they're developing? Man, I'm old school. I used to hate simulators. I mean, even Jesse, <laughs> Jesse was like, oh, I've drank simulators. I beat him up so bad. He walked out my office the first time we met. <laughs> um, but, but I think that there is a place now with the new simulators. I've gotten involved with them, the setup that can be done on the simulators. But I also believe that a driver needs to have both because the simulator doesn't teach you when you hit that wall, how much it really hurts. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't push a reset button in a, in a real race car. And so I always tell you it's, it's that balance, right? To learn new tracks, to learn setups and things like that. Simulators are awesome. But to learn real life racing, I beg the difference. Okay. Okay. So generally speaking, what you're saying is you need to develop the skills in an actual car, but then having a simulation of an upcoming circuit is an advantage just because you know the, the layout. Yeah. I would say that that's a, definitely a big help. I'm guessing there's been a lot of additional attention placed on your racetrack since the show. You're probably getting more and more people contacting you. When somebody comes to the track and says, I want you to teach my kid how to race, how often do they come sort of ill-prepared for what what you tell them? I'm going to jump in. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Because I typically am the one who fields all of those phone calls. Okay. And we have gotten considerably uh, more busy since the show's come out. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. We're super proud of it and excited about it. And what I try, I try to walk the parents through kind of what they can expect. And Troy tells me, like, I'm trying to, like, get rid of the sale 
because I'm trying to talk them out of it. (laughs) (laughs) But I just really want to prepare them for if your child does happen to love this, the financial commitment and the family commitment that it takes to do this sport. I feel like it's like no other sport in that way. Yeah, I think the, the dedication and the cost, it's real significant, right? Real significant. And I'm certain a number of people must come to you and just have no idea what they're in for. A lot of them do. And that's, you know, we're really working on that, especially since the show, is creating opportunities for young men, young women to to be able to get in our industry, maybe not always in the car, but possibly through other avenues, engineering, working on the car. We're working with a nonprofit that... We can't disclose quite yet, oh, that's good, but though. we are real close by 2023 to be able to launch a scholarship program for drivers and other interested parties to get into this sport that we so much love. Okay. So in that situation, what currently you, you decide to get in, you have to have your own car, correct? So you can, there's multiple ways that people get in. You can buy your own car. That's the least expensive in a sense because you don't have to have mechanics, you don't have to store it, that. There's other individuals who just want to do a ride and drive programs. And what that is, is they rent or lease a car for us for practice and or for the local level races or national level races. And we supply them with car, motor, mechanic, tents, the whole infrastructure to go racing. Okay, so they they can come to your facility and you basically have everything that's required. They just got to bring the driver. All they got to do is show up and drive. Okay, excellent. Now, on race day, is there a sort of requirement that you have to pass before you can allow your child to race? Not really. Not in the not in the karting industry. I mean, if you're if you just have uh, the finances and you have a go kart that's safe and the safety equipment, you can go out there and go race. If you're too slow then they would probably black flag you had to come off the track or tell you to come back when you've had, you know, you're up to speed. But for the most part, you really can get into the industry very, uh, very quickly and easily. Okay. So there's no like special requirements. There's no kind of certification a kid has to get through or whatever. And I figure you'd, you'd probably realize if things are moving too slowly during the qualification laps, right? Oh yeah. They'll notice very, very quickly um, in the first morning practice. Whether or not, because if they're too slow, the other parents uh, will very much let you know. Yes. But I would also say if if someone gets connected to a team, a karting team, then they're going to give them a little bit more direction. They're going to tell them when their times are at a level where they would be competitive and they wouldn't hurt themselves or another driver potentially. And so, you know, if they're lucky enough to join a team early on, then they'll be a little bit more prepared for when it comes time to race. This episode is brought to you by Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Get into your best shape with their comprehensive programs. So sign up now to either their basic package or warrior package with the code PSPKB, all caps, for 15% off. Stay fit this winter with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. How many people are in your team currently? Uh, we just had 15 in our last race. 15. Now, 15 goes from kid carts, right? Ages five to my oldest driver right now is 16. All right. and But you you uh, train people who are older too, correct? Now, yeah. I train everyone from probably my oldest is around 
oh, more than that, 60s, in our 60s, that are racing go-karts, but professionally on NASCAR or any of the other ones, uh, we're probably mid-30s. Okay. When you organize a race day, is it only your kids that get to, be, that to participate or can other kids show up? No. So when we organize our, at our own racetrack here, every, it's open to all ages. The carts are specific to whatever class that you're going to run. When we go to other local level um, club races, regionals or national events, then we're racing against all the other teams. Similar to what you saw on the show, Baby Drivers. All right. And what's the cost of a typical race day? And that also depends on <laughs> whether it's a local club race. A lot. At, at, our, <laughs> our, at our track or if you're going to go regional, national. So, you know, I would tell, I tell people. At your local track, how much? On a local club, club day, you're looking at 500 to 750 at the most. If you're doing a majority of it yourself. If you're looking to be on a team or something like that, you're probably going to add another 500 to that. So, you know, I would say you're, you're in the twelve to $1,500 range yeah. a day. And that's usually a two-day event for local level. Regionals, traveling a little bit, traveling maybe five to six hours away from your house. Uh, you're probably looking at about $1,700, two grand a day. National level, you're looking, um, I would say, seven to $10,000 for the whole week. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's and that's here locally. Now going overseas, you're looking at fifteen to twenty grand. Okay. <laughs> now I'm not a huge race fan. I watch a little bit of NASCAR. I F1 would probably be my number one. I watch a little bit of Indy, but something the show did not cover that I found myself asking, like the air every time I watched, was: Are certain carts better than others? Is there a standardized cart for this? No, I think, you know, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great um, question. And I tell everybody that a, a race car has four wheels and a motor. You need a good team. You need a good driver. Right. And then you need the car. So it makes no difference. You know, especially in the beginning, there are some cars that handle or that are easier to set up than others in the different categories. But there's no one car that's better than any other one across the board. Otherwise, I think we'd all be on one. And so that being said, you know, I, we teach our kids that. At the end of the day, you still have to be able to learn to drive a race car and you have to be able to give good input to the engineers or the mechanics so they can prepare their car for you. If you can't do that, then it makes no difference what kind of race car you have. You're still going to be slow. Okay. So there isn't a manufacturer or something that has a significant advantage over others. So really isn't. No. I mean, if you talk to other, if you talk to other <laughs> car shops, right, car manufacturers, we'd all say, you know, an OTK brand is the best or a Burrell brand is the best or whatever, because that's what we want to sell. But at the end of the day, if I put the best driver in the bad go-kart, he's going to make the go-kart look pretty good. If you put a bad driver in a really good go-kart, the car is still going to look like junk. Okay. So in essence, go-karting is more similar to Indy than it is to F1. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. It's more like Indy. But again, it's same thing. You have a Lewis Hamilton who's, you know, done a phenomenal job. We know that he can still drive, but he sucked this year. And I know my wife's sitting here ready to hit me because I said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Verstappen fan. My so. favorite. I love Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. Much respect. Much respect. Yeah, much respect. Right? Much respect. But he sucks. Yeah. But he's having but, a, a but, hard time. But the cool, no, he sucked. But the cool part about Lewis. The cool part about Lewis, and I say this all the time, you know, is that 
his demeanor and his attitude towards he and the resp- the respect of the series, uh, the respect of his crew is that he didn't badmouth, you know, the organization. He was always uplifting. You yes. know, on the flip side, I love Bubba. I love what he's been able to do to the sport, but he's been a real downer. No matter when what he does, it's not a positive things that are coming out of his mouth right now. Now I may get in trouble for that one, but <laughs> but it's two different two different type of attitudes, and both of them are, are African American or both of them are black. I'm gonna say they're not African American; they're black, mm-hmm. right? So to me, it's it's all about your attitude when it comes to my organization and trying to put whatever positive things that we can out into the universe, and I'm big on that. So that those positive things can come back, and eventually, like Lewis, it start because he was so positive and didn't, you know, be wasn't a negative type person. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, we're starting to see his whole program turned around, and so we have to acknowledge, and he acknowledged that he sucked. There's nothing wrong with that. The fact of the matter is, he acknowledged that, but our team is going to get better, and because of that, that's why he's getting better. It's all about attitude. A hundred percent. I appreciate you speaking plainly also. I appreciate that. And I get in trouble for that all the time. <laughs> that's okay. So you know we, we, it is what it is. <laughs> that's right. We generally say things how they are on the show. So yeah. I, I appreciate you speaking honestly. Then something I, I wanted to bring up when it, when it comes to all this. Now, I don't want to give away too much from the show, but you had a decision to move your son up to the next level when theoretically he wasn't supposed to be there, correct? Correct. So what what brought that on? What made you decide, you know what, we're going to go ahead and do it anyways? (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) So what she said, don't say that, because I was going to talk about his weight. Yeah. (laughs) But it's because he was not the smallest kid, right? In fact, we just got finished from working out because we're getting ready to leave to Mexico. And the bottom line is my son was at that time 10 years old, at 110 pounds okay, at 5'1". So he was already t- extremely tall. It was hard for us to, to fit him into a cadet cart. And he was also, I don't want to say overweight, but he's just a big kid. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe in telling kids that they should diet and that they should do things to, to again, be negative on their body, their mind. At the end of the day, I'm going to let him be a kid. And so... We had to move him up so that he could fit proportionally in the car and in the class. And so that's, that was the, that was the ultimate decision um, to do that. And we were blessed to the fact that he took to the car uh, very quickly and he wasn't scared of the speed. He wasn't scared of the contact. And, you know, currently we're, we're leading a couple of championships as we, uh, as we speak. Right on, right on. So first, uh, this goes to the question of the rules is, the total weight requirement, does that include driver or is there both a weight requirement of the cart itself and a weight requirement of the driver? No, when you come off the track, it's uh, it's driver and, and cart. So it's driver and car. Could you go the other way? Could you remove weight from a cart? No, most of our carts are already pretty lean in a sense that, you know, it's only the essentials on there. When you start going light, you're talking about different type of bolts, magnesium bolts and wheels. And at the end of the day, you start spending a lot of money. And if he can do it, and, and a lot of the other teams who have asked for my son to be on their program were really wanting them to to step up, run junior, and they would help us do it. Uh, it was just you know a decision of mine to wait as long as we could 
so that he could get more mature mentally and in stronger physically. Okay. And then the next question would be, what's the difference in sort of speed and acceleration from level to level? Ooh. So it's about another 10 mile an hour. But the biggest thing is not just the speed. You go from 240 pound go-kart to a 320 pound go-kart. You go from, and the width of the car is probably another 10 inches or so. Okay. So it's not just the speed, it's the width of the car, the heaviness of the car. So now you have to be able to slow it down. You have to go with the aggression of the drivers. You're, you're dealing with kids that are 15, 16 years old. It's like being in, in a, a regular street fight, right? If a 10-year-old pulls up on a 16-year-old, the 16-year-old going to laugh and smash him. It's mm-hmm. the same on a racetrack. There's a lack of respect. So now he has to gain that respect on the racetrack, and that can be dangerous. And so some of it is is uh, just being smart and crafty and knowing you know, who he's racing and the characteristics of the drivers that he's racing with. And the ones that he knows that he can fight on the racetrack, meaning position the car a little aggressively, or the ones that he knows, man, I better not do that because they're going to put me into the wall or spin me out or whatever else. So it's it's really a strategic positioning for us and studying so that he, when he's on the track, that he's a lot smarter than the big kids because he's not stronger. And obviously he excelled. So something that you don't get a full idea of on the show itself is the length of time from his first race to his final race. What's the actual passage of time there? Uh, Two months. (laughs) That's it. A month and a half, two months. Yeah. I mean, what most people don't understand in our, about our program is since he was, you know, since truly was five years old, uh, we've talked racing, right? He's been around, a lot of our racers and a lot of racers still come through our facility or we get an opportunity. And I say our racers, kids like Noah Gregson and NASCAR, Riley Herbst, Haley Deegan, Sheldon Creed. You know, he's seen how we train. He's learned and been in the discussions. Mm-hmm. Uh, he understands racing. And so he understood the seriousness of what we were doing. And he understood that when I said, don't wreck my race car, that meant don't wreck my race car. When I say stay in fifth or eighth, that means stay in fifth or eighth. Okay. And so he understands, you know, the business side of it and he understands the business side on track and following a plan and then learning how to execute because of the discussions we've had with a lot of our professional drivers. Yes. So really he's mature beyond his years. He's definitely mature, but he's just also a big five-year-old kid. If he was, you know, he likes playing in the dirt. He likes, you know, you know, he's a, He's a big kid when it comes offside the track. But when you put the helmet on, he's become a beast. Another thing I noticed, and maybe this is just unique to your track, or maybe it's industry standard. I don't know. But 18 laps, is that a specific thing? So, yeah. So on the main events, a lot of the laps are now going anywhere between, it depends on the size of the track. Okay. You're doing 18 to 24 laps. And that's based on what? Just the, is that the fuel consumption? No, that's really based on size of the track and different clubs or national series that we race at but it's usually what runs within those within those numbers on your track at truly's level how long does a 18 lap race take 18 lap race from start to finish parade laps everything is about 20 20 25 minutes um the lap times right now are sub minutes and so you know the actual race on an 18 lap is probably 17 or 16. Okay. But the whole, you know, again, the whole race is about 20 plus. 
And does anyone do any form of a endurance type go-kart race? Actually, yeah, there's, yeah, they do. There's some 12 hour endurance races more on a fun car program uh, level. Okay. Uh, but yes, around our area, there's about three tracks that, that we do a lot of um, individuals who are not serious into racing will come and do more of your endurance race type programs. All right. So what's in your driveway, foreign or domestic? Ah, domestic, baby. I'm a domestic. I'm a truck guy. I'm a truck guy. So, uh, yep, I got an F three fifty. Okay, local. And then one of my one of my owners, uh, one of my clients, want me to get into a Dodge program. Bad. Don't get me wrong. If you put a, you know, if you put a Ferrari or you put a Rolls in there, I'm gonna drive. I would hang out with those too. Okay, okay. Okay, I'd ask. No, but my trucks make me money. Now, if you talk about truly. He's all foreign. He's Bugatti, Ferrari. He don't. You tell him put a truck out there. He'd be like, Nah, I'm good. You know, <laughs> of course, he's, right? He's oh, a kid. He's a kid. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> you gotta go for the flash. Yes, sir. I gotta go for what makes me a little bit of money right now. Kara, do you prefer something else? I prefer the Maserati. No, she prefer my truck <laughs> that makes us money. <laughs> I got my eye on a really pretty Maserati. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for right now, my Jeep is handling just right. <laughs> okay, and is there going to be a second season of Baby Drivers? We haven't heard. We what? haven't heard, but I'm going to say, yeah, I always put that positivity out in the world. Our goal is 10 seasons, right? 10 seasons of Baby Drivers. Uh, we've had great response within the industry. Mm-hmm. We haven't heard yet. But if uh, you said you looked at the show, if you looked at it here lately, there's a, a lot more commercials that are showing up within the show, which yeah. means people are watching it. That's right. So, That's God right. willing, there will be uh, there'll be season two. And whose idea was it to do the show? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? How did it happen? It actually, I had kind of, we talk about putting things out in the universe a lot. And we do a lot of t- uh, TV rentals, tapings, commercials here at the track. And one day I was like, I would really love for kind of the legacy of Adams Motorsports Park, of everything that Troy's been doing in his coaching. I think we'd have a great show. And so I just started kind of talking about it, talking to people about it. And then um, we were reached. I think Discovery had two different production companies that reached out to us about putting a show together and the second one just kind of really felt good and kind of stuck. So, you know, we were really interested in it and that's kind of how we got to this point with baby drivers. Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. And have you gone ahead and ordered yourself a set of overalls from Adams Motorsport? (laughs) Jeanette won't give me the number. (laughs) I'm going to leave that one alone. (laughs) Yeah, I know you weren't a fan. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so no. funny. It was honestly, it's it's a blast having you guys on. Was there anything else you wanted to tell our fans, educate them a little bit about your facility, what it offers, that sort of thing, in case somebody themselves is interested? Uh, for, well, number one, we love, uh, we appreciate being on the show. Um, definitely those uh, individuals that are interested in coming out to Adams Motorsports Park, we have an array of activities going on from go-karts to supermotos to drift cars, time attack. But our biggest thing is go-karts and learning how to get into the industry. Definitely check out Baby Drivers on Discovery Plus. It's streaming now. And if you have any questions, make sure you check us out on our social medias at Adams Motorsports Park, Troy Adams Coaching, or Truly the Truth. 
And you can also reach out at 951-686-3826. Fantastic, fantastic. I'll leave links to all of those different locations in the description. And I'm really hoping there's a second season of Baby Drivers because honestly, it's a show that's entertaining for absolutely everyone. Whether you're a race fan or not, it's a fun watch. So I'm hoping you guys just keep going with it because I'm interested in seeing what happens with some of these kids and how they progress. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us on. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasters experience. Where no sport is left behind.